Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. This week, me, I always say, I hate saying this, I, Henry Quinney, I've done it again. I, Henry Quinney, <laughs> me, I'm joined by Matt Beer and Alicia Leggett to run through some of the biggest topics in news of mountain biking before we bumble on in our normal sort of <laughs> rubbish way onto actually a really good podcast with Steve Vanderhoek, which is absolutely sick and I can't wait to share it with you. Alicia, this podcast has got off to a terrible start. Hi. Can you bring it back? What's <laughs> happened with the news? <laughs> Actually, I love it. I love it. This, it feels like the right vibe for all of yeah. us, really, actually. Just I've got to, say, I've got to stop saying dynamic. it. I, Henry um, Quinney. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, we saw some racing recently. That was pretty cool. Um, World Cups are in full swing right now. So we saw some cross-country racing and some downhill racing. It was all really exciting, all really dramatic from the get-go. Like we saw the cross-country racing start off with XCC. So Alessandra Keller took the win for the women and Luca Schwartzbauer took the win for the men. Um, fantastic for both of them. Alessandra actually had a really great weekend. She's on the podium in the XCO race as well. And uh, the women's XCO was won by Mona Mitterwallner which was very cool to see, especially just because she's been such a rising threat all season. Um, and Matthias Flukiger also won for the men. Not a surprise, but still very cool to see. Henry, I'm curious, what do you think about watching cross country? Do you have a favorite part? I think it works really well viewing it live. I think it's one of those things, I think for me, downhill's better to watch remotely. I'd I'm ashamed to say, even when I was at World Cups, I'd often just sit in the team <laughs> truck and watch the live feed. <laughs> um, but then the cross country, if you're there, it is just amazing. And seeing someone ride mm -hmm. at like six watts a kilo is a really spectacular thing. Um, I think you see that sort of, that Tom Pickock, Matthew van der Poel attack style where they just go and once they're gone, there is no catching them. I think it's just quite amazing to see mm -hmm. someone be able to do that. For sure. We're used to seeing it, so we sort of take it for granted, but... All of those racers, even the ones finishing dead last, are phenomenal athletes. And it's just kind of amazing what they can train the human body to do. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to get a turbo trainer and put it at the bottom of Whistler Bike. I've been saying this for ages. I need to go and do it. But basically, <laughs> I don't know if you can like, rhythm to, you to be... So you have to ride at six watts a kilo. Yeah. And just just get random people just to see what, <laughs> what you know, because it's... To do it, I could do it for maybe like five seconds and then I, you know, I die and I get cremated and my family mourns my loss. Um, but I can't, I can't Many of do us it would be eight, a little you know, disappointed, actually. people are riding at that. <laughs> but people yeah. can like... For extended periods imagine of time. Imagine being able to ride at that like for Like multiple minutes, minutes into multiple wild. hours. That's, yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, And then we saw some downhill racing. The excitement didn't stop. Actually got maybe even more intense with the added element of the weather. So we saw some thunderstorms, which really brought up um, a lot of wind, which is the main danger. So these riders seem to be pretty used to riding in the wet, but getting blown off course by the wind seems to be a pretty bad problem. We saw that actually with Camille Belange getting um, blown down and fortunately not injured badly, but seems to be in a lot of pain and was airlifted out and really gave, a, gave everyone kind of a pretty big scare. So... Yeah, that was unfortunate. In the racing, though, after that, we saw um, kind of a battle with Valley Hole and Nina Hoffman. And Nina Hoffman coming out ahead for her first win this season, which is very cool to see. I'm sure devastating for Valley, but, you know, we all move on. 
in the men's, things got even more dramatic with the skies opening up and yeah, the course just becoming much, much worse as the top men were coming down, but a few managed to still put down incredible runs. And we saw Tiba Deprella, who is kind of a wild card anyway, come out on top. He seemed over the moon about it, understandably, from winning a World Cup. There was a lot of talk about the weather and just whether the race would be canceled or should have been canceled. And yeah, so I'm I'm curious to hear what Matt thinks about that, just because Matt, you're maybe the ideal person to talk to since you did used to be in that position, used to race World Cups. Would you have wanted to race if you were there? Well, yes, it's a race in Andorra before I can tell you that the weather can come in pretty quickly. Those are some huge mountains and there's not much coverage up top. So yeah, seeing that new track, I would imagine the winds play a huge factor as well as the rain. It definitely caught some riders out. I don't think it's always the fairest outcome with riders getting you know mixed results uh, in terms of the weather. But I think everybody wanted to ride. It's just whether they could do that safely. And there was definitely some questions of whether they could fly the helicopters if there was an evacuation needed. Um, but one thing that was really neat we did see was the elimination of the semifinals. So mm-hmm. everything just went to a final, which was the most exciting. I think we saw a lot of commenters and fans talk about that and sort of the uh, rewind to the old days where, yeah, things were done just in, in one run. So that was really cool to see. Do you think it's it's funny, it's sort of like a bit of poetic justice this, the weekend with this ad Brayton thing, it turns out that even if you've been scoring top 60 results, you haven't actually been getting the points that you would normally have got to be in the top 60. Do you think it's sort of poetic justice that after all that, this is the race that goes without the semifinals anyway? Yeah. I mean, uh, it would be cool to see Adam Brayton race finals. Uh, he's definitely a rider that deserves it. But uh, these are the rules these days and... Yeah, I think that was kind of cool to see the the old the old style come back, the old race format. And what would you prefer, do you think? Do you prefer to race it? Would you want, I suppose, as someone like, you know, not maybe not having aspiration, maybe more being like going to qualify, hopefully get a top 50, top 40, as your kind of, you know, would have been a really great result back in the day. Do you think that that was... Yeah, I mean... It would kind of be sort of pop your balloon a bit, but deflated knowing that like, oh, I got through to semi-final, but I didn't even make the final. I mean, I think it adds a new level uh, in terms of expertise and and how fast these riders are going. Um, to be in the the finals every race is spectacular, but uh, mm. for the riders that are you know kind of not always getting into those, um, even the qualifying is a, is a race in itself, right? So now you have the pressure of three timed, three possible timed race results. Um, yeah, it's a lot of racing and maybe a little bit lackluster in turn once like finals roll around these days. So I think I think the qualifying and then narrowing it down to the finals run is, is the way to do it. And Matt, when you hear about the top races, say things like, you know, you hear them say, oh, I just wanted a safe run to get down and qualify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, can you just explain because when 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 you're racing World Cups, how how close to the ragged edge did you feel to qualify? And we obviously know, like, you, you, I mean, you just got fourth at bloody nationals. You're unbelievably <laughs> quick on a bike. 
And did it was it always a bit? Did it always kind of like smart a bit when you hear someone go? Well, it was really nice. I just wanted to have a safe run and get down, and then they qualify like thirty second, and they're like they're disappointed with that because that's their that's their safe pace. That's kind of wild. Hey, well, I would imagine everybody has their you know sort of comfort zone in terms of how far, how like hard they're pushing. So through the corners and where they're attacking and where they're letting off the brakes the most. You know, some riders kind of jive with the terrain or the the dirt and the corners and whatnot on the track. So that varies. But yeah, they're probably pushing where they feel most comfortable and then holding back a little bit in those tricky spots. So I would imagine that's a safe run. And then going to finals, they're they're pushing on through the the corners that they're struggling with or the lines they're not a hundred percent confident on. They're going for it. And whether that means like possibly risking a flat or a mechanic or a mechanical or a crash, then yeah, they're just going to give it their all. So that's sort of the difference between qualifying and finals, I would say, for them. Does that kind of make sense? No, that absolutely does. Um, so I was out. I've watched a lot of racing at the weekend. also did a bit of riding. I had a really, what I would what I would describe as a funny mechanical. And I'd be interested to hear some of the weird mechanicals you've had over the years. But I want to paint you a picture. I'm coming through a rooted section. The power link on my chain somehow comes loose, which I've never had before. It wraps around. I hear this loads of noise. It whips the derailleur. I had an AXS GXS, GX mech. It rips the battery out and that tab off. I find the chain, the power, the power link's gone, the battery's gone. And within like 10 meters, I'd gone from having a functioning bicycle <laughs> to one that didn't function at all. Yeah, Unraveled. weird. How weird Just is that? Just spontaneously? <laughs> that makes like, no what sense. The fuck? What happened? <laughs> yeah, bizarre. Spontaneously. Huh. I was just like, just riding along and it was like, duh, 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 and I heard a little noise and then the chain dropped and I was like, and then the battery was gone. That was the, the fucking battery was gone. That's the bit I don't That's understand. That's very, very weird. <laughs> it's holding it all together. <laughs> Damn. Matt, how about you? What what weird mechanicals have you had? Ooh, uh, or funny ones at least. Funny ones. I mean, luckily I wasn't injured, but I broke a carbon crank like eight kilometers into like a 45 kilometer backcountry ride no yeah yeah did you so luckily back? luckily i knew the trail and like we started with a shuttle so it was mostly downhill <laughs> so i was just riding along one foot clipped in like gimp legged but yeah Matt, what does what does knowing the trail have to do with it you've got one bloody crank <laughs> <laughs> it was mostly downhill so i could coast and sit down for a lot of it Matt's yeah. really Anisha, good at downhill how about you? do you have any um funny or weird mechanicals <laughs> yeah right <laughs> i i don't know if any of my qualify is that funny or that weird but i just remembered um kind of a local race i did a long time ago an enduro somehow my saddle fell off of my bike in the race um that was the whole thing for whatever reason i just what hadn't tightened the bolts very much apparently <laughs> and Apparently also wasn't bothered by whatever looseness or rattling might have been happening, which I don't remember any happening at all, but saddles rarely go from like properly tightened to off the bike instantly. So there must have been something along the way. Um, Yeah, I just like picked it up and stuck it down my pants and continued the race and actually did well at that race. I was like. <laughs> Standing up, pedaling the whole fucking time. Is that a saddle in your pants? Are you pleased to see me? <laughs> Both, Wait, so actually. did you stop and pick it up once it fell off then? Okay. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. exactly what was happening when it fell off, but it was it, it was pretty unfortunate. It, I'm really, really not flattered by what it says about my bike maintenance habits. 
Yeah. I just find it amazing all the times that even with an Allen key, I find it hard to get a saddle out the rails on some droppers. You know, they're kind of like trapped in there and you're wiggling it. So good effort. Uh, yeah, they're but, actually very trapped in there. That's the goal of the rails. Yeah. So um, this week, we're going to move on to a conversation that I recorded with Steve Vanderhoek, who's a sort of BC freerider, just all round nice guy. I was, I've seen him around town and he's always so friendly and fun. And honestly, we had this amazing conversation where we talk about free ride. Actually, seriously, all around nice guy. He's great. Yeah, for sure. We, we talk about free ride. We talk about free ride bikes, the death of free ride. But also, actually, we talk a lot about his job as an emergency worker, working as a firefighter, sort of how he incorporates this job where he's attending, you know, people that sometimes really hurt themselves, as well as managing like risk and reward in his own riding. We talk quite a lot about mental health, some really interesting things about sort of the, he had this really gnarly crash last year and his, you know, the, the human side of it coming back from that and what it meant to him to, you know, be back on the bike doing big stuff. And honestly, this was such a cool podcast. I really, really hope you enjoy it. And um, yeah, Steve Vanderhoek. Steve, welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. Thank you for coming on. Dude, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So our listeners have probably seen some of your photos or your edits coming out of the Sea to Sky Corridor where you do gnarly things on bicycles. Can you describe in your own words what you do? Because I, I know that you actually have a really interesting life outside of bikes as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, getting here has been a very interesting thing. I haven't actually tried to work my way into where I am right now. It's just kind of organically happened. But uh, yeah, like I'm born and raised in North Vancouver. I've been riding bikes basically since I was like five or six. And now I work as a career firefighter. I've been doing that for about 11 years. And yeah, just me and my wife, Kelsey, uh, been married for a year together for 16, 15 oh, years. Oh, amazing. So I, cool. should, I should get that right. I, I, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's been, it's 15 coming up on 16. Wow. Um, yeah, we just like love shooting photos and videos and long before you know as you said the viewers have seen these photos and videos we just did it for ourselves. yeah and yeah like kind of gained some popularity and now uh now here we are because kelsey is an enormously talented filmmaker as well she's very very talented like to the point where i'm worried that she's becoming too talented for me and i'm about to, <laughs> i'm about i'm about to get left behind mm. but yeah she's a career a uh, photographer, videographer, mostly specializing in real estate, portrait, wedding, mm -hmm. uh, everything like that. But like for as long as we've been together, our kind of side thing has been shooting like snowboarding and biking, skiing. Uh, yeah. So it's really cool to see like her skills transitioning to that and her yeah. gaining more popularity in that because that's what she really likes doing. And she won Dirt Diaries, am I right in saying? She just won Which Dirt Diaries. Which is just so exciting. It's the, honestly, uh, I was just saying this to some, some of my buddies, I think that might've been our coolest day of our life. Like yeah. we may have at 34 peaked, that might've <laughs> been the best day and it might be all downhill from here, mm. but that was really special moment for me. Uh, and like, yeah, if you see the videos of her face, like she's couldn't have been more fired up. And it's interesting because, you know, you said you work in the emergency services. I've got friends who are paramedics and things like this. And I think some of them... The word wouldn't be cavalier at all, but I think they have an appreciation that shit happens. Maybe when you're doing something risky, maybe you fall down the stairs. Yeah. In terms of how you integrate 
the idea of risk into your writing. Is it affected by what you see in terms of your professional job? A hundred percent. And I think it's, that's constantly evolving and changing. Um, I really don't take for granted the perspective that it's given me on life. Um, with each injury that I've had and each thing that I've seen, each injury I've seen other people go through, it continues to change, but really it does. It gives me, like, I think my risk analysis and the risks that I take are very calculated. Mm. Um, but also knowing that things happen, um, yeah, like it back, I'm more comfortable I'm trying to think of the right word for this. I had this discussion with someone the other day, but I know bad things can happen and I know bad things can happen if you're just crossing the street. Yes. Um, unprepared. And I know bad things can happen if you're riding your bike. And for me, I just make a conscious decision every time I pick up my bike. I accept that there is risk and that I'm going to switch my brain on. I'm not ignorant to the risks that could happen or the injuries that could happen, but it's just, it's everything to me. Uh, like my community, the guys I ride with, and just biking in general, like I wouldn't, I'm not willing to give it up. Yeah. If I think about it, yes, there are the opportunities to hurt myself. Uh, but it's just, it's, the riding is worth it to me. But there's also something, I mean, maybe, although, you know, sadly, obviously accidents do happen in mountain biking. It's not like, maybe so binary as something like skydiving, where when they have an accident, it tends to go, you it's, know, there's very, pretty much a hundred percent. Yeah. Like you know where that's more, more going. fatalistic, yeah. Um, but there is something to be said, I think, about being, you know, master of your own fate. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not, obviously I wouldn't wish anything bad on anyone, but people out there doing what they love and accidents happening, I think that that's a very different relationship to, yeah, getting hit as you cross the road, where totally. maybe your, your, your fate, as, as it were, is in someone else's hands. Exactly. How does it cope with your partner being the, you know, you're de- devising these video ideas or these shoot ideas and your partner who, I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure sometimes she's probably like, oh, you can go ride off a cliff today, but, yeah. but largely it must be quite stressful for her watching you do these things. Or is that something that you're so acclimatized to now? It's- I think uh, it is very stressful for her. Um, it, it's stressful for me too, but it's something that we've really built over our 15, 16 years together is just like a mutual respect and understanding and we can read each other. Um, I can tell if she's really nervous and sometimes that will actually play into if I'm going to do a line. Like if I can tell she's really not comfortable with what I'm doing, it actually just will translate to me being uncomfortable, takes away my confidence in a move. And I've ridden long enough to be like, you know what? Things aren't clicking. I'm not going to do this. Um, But she knows exactly what I can do and she can read how I'm acting. And if I'm acting very confident, she just knows better than to put doubt in my mind so like that's where our working relationship is so good um yeah she just like we understand each other and if i'm saying i'm going she knows i'm going and she knows she just won't say anything yes um and yeah she did watch me have a very very bad crash last year yeah and that took up until our dirt diaries video to really almost like mend that trust and relationship because she saw me crash hard it almost it came very close to like killing me yeah yeah and uh but yeah, that's... Um, Would that have been the crash in the Tour de Nar thing? It was, yeah. yeah. That was horrific. I'm, so, I'm, I'm glad you're okay. That was, it was, that it was, was rough. Yeah, it was. And I learned a lot about myself that day and it's really changed my perspective as well on, on uh, how I do things. But there were a lot of red flags for me. I had just gotten married three days before. No I was, way. I, yeah, I was... Oh. <laughs> we got married on August 6th and I crashed on August 9th. Yeah. So I had just gone through, you know, the whole summer of planning, renovations, uh, the stress behind that 
Work was really stressful at the time. I didn't sleep the night before for the Tour de Nar, like not even a minute. I was yeah. pretty torqued up. And then when I woke up in the morning, I'm like, yeah, this is not good. Like yeah. I'm not in the right headspace. And I, I'd gotten away with a lot of things before. And I'm like, you know what? I'm riding at the top of my game right now. Whatever. I'm going to do mm-hmm. it. And then I got bit. And that was a good reminder for me to have my own process and to, and to listen to those red flags. Yes. Because uh, it was very, it was, I, I had a big list of injuries on that one. Uh, and I dealt with concussion symptoms for a long time after that. So yeah, that really changed quite a few things. Concussions, gnarly. Yeah. Concussion is, is very, I mean, I'm, I, we talk about this quite often. It feels like us, society in general, is waking up to, yeah. to head injuries and concussions and this invisible, and one, of, one of the many invisible disabilities, I suppose. Um, if we go back in time a bit, you are now, you know, a free rider in the sea to sky. Yeah. Did, did you ever race back in the day? How, how was your, how did you get into free riding right. as it was? Yeah. Uh, I never raced. Uh, like I said, I've been riding ever since I can remember. And it was cool watching that nothing's for free video that was just very played. Good. And it was cool to actually, I actually had a part in that, just a very small part of I me crashing it. in that video, but Hey, <laughs> I made it into the video yeah. and that's cool enough for me. But, uh, it was cool to watch that and be like, ah, I remember those waves. Like, uh, I was part of the, like a free ride wave where I was shooting with, uh, uh, Digger or Todd Fiander. He made these North Shore extreme videos, which I don't know what the reach was outside of the North Shore, but they were, they're really popular. So I filmed in a few of those and I was starting to feel what I thought was my career picking up in that. And then the industry shifted a bit more towards solely slope style. Like it was like, go to Crankworks, do your flips and your tail whips, 360s. If you don't, then that's, you don't really have a place in the industry. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, uh, I'm going to pivot and I'm going to go towards the emergency response, first aid, firefighting career, uh, right out of high school. And that's, that's where I went with that. Um, and then I kind of just tabled it for quite a while. I just rode with no intention of anything happening and then started building some features just for me, just for me and Kelsey's photography. And then that one that I built that was, I ended up crashing on years later. I think it was large enough, scary enough, and intimidating enough that it attracted like Remy Mattei, Yoan Borelli. And that is actually, that feature is what kind of pushed me into the light um, in the industry that's now seems to be broader. It's not just racing. It's not just slope style. There's so many different avenues you can take. And I've kind of settled into my little niche here. Because I remember when I really, I think probably when I first started getting into riding, and as I was getting into riding almost immediately, would have been 10 maybe even a bit longer years ago now free ride was free ride is dead yeah what were your feelings about that at the time and also for what it's worth i i think as they went into slope style i think that's when i i never had that much interest in slope style i still don't have that much interest were you tempted to go into that so free ride's dead as it was transitioning did you entertain slope style I, I did for a little bit. Like I could, I could do flips, I could do tail whips and I could do three sixties. Um, but I just didn't enjoy it as much. Um, and I just found myself rather than enjoying the tricks and looking forward to it, I kind of was more just scared of it. And I guess I just naturally didn't click with my style of riding and my risk assessment. So I, for a very short period of time, and then I kind of just accepted that this isn't really for me and I'm just going to explore other avenues. Yeah. Um, and it's cool talking to other riders about that. Like I was speaking with a Rampage rider the other day, we we're on the chairlift and he was saying he was at Rampage and he just one day clicked. He's like, I don't really 
enjoy this. I look around, all these other riders are like, this is the best event of the year. I'm so excited. Uh, I can't wait to wake up in the morning and do this. And he was like, I didn't have any of those feelings. I was like, I was nervous. I was kind of scared. And then he just made the smart decision to just pivot into a different part of the industry. Mm. And I like respected that. I'm like, that's so amazing. Yes. Yeah. Have the, the presence of mind to be able to know yourself. Yeah. And how has your attitude changed? Hmm. I think maybe it's fair to say that younger people are typically a bit more gun ho Definitely. You know, Giving it, it the beans are, is, is a very different, I think the relationship with risk for me at least has changed when I was older and me and a filmographer here, Max, we always just talk about how what we actually want is just to ride really nice turns. Yeah. <laughs> really nice turns. People are like, oh, do you want to go do something gnarly? And we're just like, you know, not really actually. <laughs> I just we want just want to do some turns. Nice time. How's, how's your relationship with risk changed over this last 10, 10 years, I suppose? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, just kind of stumbling. I, I don't know if everyone, a lot of people think that I'm trying to really build something here and it, it just organically happened and I'm trying to stick with that. I just yes. want to do exactly what I want to do with no pressure from other people or industries. So what I'm doing is just, it's not because a brand or anyone is pushing me to do it. Like that is purely the type of riding that I like doing. Like I want to go out, find a really crazy feature and I want to build it. And that's like, that's my art is to create yeah. a way down a big mountain feature that looks otherwise unrideable. And that's just something I really enjoy. Like I love that and that's why I do it. So, and for me, I'm okay taking that risk because it's just for me. Well, that's the thing. I think the, a genuine expression, there's something, it's weird. There's something, hmm. If the aliens are watching us, right? There's so many things that we do that they wouldn't be able to discern whether it's good or bad. Like an alien looking down at us wouldn't know the difference between laughing and crying. Yeah, they true. both know that something's happening. <laughs> yeah. um, similarly, I think when we talk about genuine expression, I think that as individuals, you can, you can often spot a genuine action or a genuine desire to create something a mile totally. away. And you can spot a disingenuous thing. Very easily. Well, not, very easily. And it's funny because it's so hard. I wouldn't know how to... I wouldn't know what identifiers that thing would have, but I'd be like, I don't, I don't think they're in it for them anymore. Yeah. And it is strange when we, we spoke about it on the podcast before and, you know, they're going to be listeners probably sick to death of hearing it, but, um, <laughs> too bad when I was younger. Yeah. Too bad. <laughs> You're stuck. <laughs> this is what you got. When I was younger, I had delusions of grandeur about being quite good at like long distance cycling. Right. But over the years, I basically handed over, it started off as a genuine expression where I was going out and this was before any level of. You know, oh, even if social media had existed, I wouldn't have been there like Tarot Moan Horn. Right. I was just an 18 year old kid who liked riding 200 mile days, and that's just how it was. Yeah. But it changed over the years, and I kind of gave it away incrementally to other people. It must be quite hard in the, the free ride sector where, you know, racing, you have, you have the, the placings, everyone yeah, knows they're pecking Tangible order. results. Yeah. But in, um, in free ride, it's kind of, in some ways, as good as your last result, like as good as your last big feature, right? Exactly. And um, do, do you feel any pressure from the industry to do the next big thing? I think, uh, yes, um, I'm, I more did. And then last year was a bit of my reality check. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure you've spoken about this a lot um, and the impact on social media and just seeing what it does. But there is, there's so, there's so many of the same videos out there. There's so many GoPros, there's so many people that are good enough to be sponsored and you're just seeing the same thing all the time. It is borderline impossible to blow someone's mind now. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. 
not speaking down about them, but even like Brandon Semenek and Emil can put out the most insane edit. And I watch it, I'm like, my, my brain's blown. And I go to show someone and I'm like, oh, I can't even find it on the internet anymore. It just disappears yeah. so quickly. Um, and you're, you're I, totally right. The fact that I, who love mountain bikes, I'm not that impressed by slope style, which is ridiculous. It's because crazy. they're doing four spins now. <laughs> the feats of what they're doing is just like astronomical. And um, yeah, even this, this young little Grom, it was the craziest thing he said to me, and I'm going to say this wrong, but he's like, the pursuit of avoiding mediocrity comes at great consequences. <laughs> and that was out wow. of the mouth Poignant. of a 16 year old. Yeah. And I was like, man, like, that's so true. Yeah. Um, so I, my crash last year, and sometimes it takes a crash and sometimes it can just come naturally. But the crash for me, made me realize the bad, th bad things can happen, obviously. And I want to make sure that if bad things do happen, that it's, I'm pursuing what I want to do for me for the right reasons. And that's just me. Um, and that kind of, for me, has taken away some of the pressure of feeling like I have to perform because I, I don't know, I, what I like doing, I like creating big rock faces that look gnarly, but so many people can do that. It's like, there's almost not, there's pretty much nothing I can do that a handful of young Groms can't also do, do better, faster, and more stylish. Yeah. And that's fine with me. Yeah. I don't feel, <laughs> I don't feel any pressure to keep up. Um, and I say this to Kelsey and I say this to the brands right now that it's really cool. And I'm really like flattered and honored that there are people that enjoy watching what I do and I'm going to keep doing it and putting it out organically. And if people stop liking it and it loses traction, I'm just going to, fade away naturally and happily and it's not going to bother me whatsoever so as soon as i put something out and feel like that sucks i'll be like okay i'm done <laughs> it's funny <laughs> there's this great um quentin tarantino interview i once saw and he basically said somebody asked him about how his audience perceive his video or his, his, his movies and he said whoa, 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 whoa i make the films for me Nice. People being able to watch them is a byproduct, but I make them for me. I like that confidence. I make them, that was it. So he was asked, yeah, do you watch them? And he was like, of course I fucking watch them. It's for me. Then for, I made it so I could watch it. That's cool. Yeah. And I was like, that's a, that's a badass way yeah. to be. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> wow. And I think that, I think that's a really great thing. Like, you know, you do it for you. And if anyone happens to be picking it up, what you're putting down, then great. But if not, then it doesn't matter. Totally. And I think... Like you said, you can, that, that is spotted and you can see what's genuine versus what's not genuine. Like just mm -hmm. for example, on social media, I have noticed a huge increase in GoPro videos that are flipped vertically, distorted and kind of sped up it's and you scroll distort, through yeah. and you're just like, I see, I, I don't know the difference between this. And I have friends sending me videos that have 10 million views being like, have you ever written this? Like, yeah, of course I've written it. It's a blue trail on Chrome. Yeah. But it looks like it's this vertical Alps trail that's all. And not speaking down to people yeah. that do it, that's totally fine. Yeah. It's just, I am not trying to chase viral videos. Well, it's interesting though. I think that the way that POV cameras have changed over the years is I actually think, I heard years ago that there was a sweet spot in terms of quality. And as you go too high definition, it starts to look less impressive. And so right. I think they got better definition, better definition. And then they went to an extreme fisheye, which obviously makes the periphery yeah. look very fast. and. I know. I think it's it, it probably complements wider, especially when it's uh, the hyper smooth. It looks great. It looks like, amazing. I, don't get me wrong. I think it looks incredible, and I just because it looks incredible, and because people have had great success in it, everybody wants to do it. 
Yeah. So now you have this massive amount of people that are doing it. And one guy's like, oh, well, maybe if I go leap off this really crazy thing, all these views are going to make me famous. Yeah. And then you can get hurt. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. And then are you doing it for the right reasons or were you doing it just to look I, super radical? I had an idea a couple of years ago and it, in my typical fashion, I never did anything about it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe I will. I had this thought, it was when Instagram was really becoming where like kind of the central pivot almost of the industry. Um, I thought, wouldn't it be funny to create this internet persona where the writing is at best mediocre? Like absolute best, <laughs> but you get the right people to tag it. You know, you get like some like good photographers, like friends ask call calling favors and stuff. Yeah. And just see how long it takes you to maybe like get a free bike. And That's just be interesting. There, like, it wasn't about the riding. And then then like blow the cover and it'd be like, it wasn't about the riding. That's so I've seen It's just crap. <laughs> I I don't know if you I think it was in the UK actually. So there was a documentary that was done about a guy doing that with a, like a fake restaurant. Yes. Oh and my God. And yeah, it, became, it became like the most sought after restaurant and they're just laughing in the background because it's just like blowing the cover on fake reviews, fake yeah. everything. Like nothing is what it looks like. I thought that was the funniest thing. So yeah, what you just said there is, I mean, but, you could probably do that. Well, I was thinking it'd be pretty funny because I could, you know, the industry is relatively small and ask them like people with the big social media followings, like, you know, and be like, can you just tag me in this and say great ride today with such and such? Yeah, see if you blow up. <laughs> and just see it, like, you can blow it up. It'd be really funny. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> and maybe set a threshold and be like, until, I don't know, I get, like, it's got to be, keep at this until there's like someone offers a contract a set amount of money and, and just show, be like, it's, because what I suppose what I want to be trying to show is that you can get all the, the signifiers the external points of validation for something that isn't even real. Yeah. And if you go chasing them, I know. And maybe it's, maybe it's more of my, my own body indicative and made my own relationship with um, that sort of thing there. Like it's really lovely to have, obviously, like you said, it, it's, it's humbling and wonderful to have anyone yeah. watch any of the, say, the videos I make or listen to this podcast. But as long as my mom likes it and I can, and my friends like it and I enjoyed making it, that's, really the important thing 100 percent, and i think kind of to tie up like how i've seen things go is i think that is where people are starting to settle on and enjoy they've seen the viral views they've seen all these things and they've gotten saturated with it and now i really what i enjoy and what i'm seeing people and i'm hearing people say is they really like the 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 genuine the human side the interactions um and i just think that's where a lot of value is right now and that's really really cool to see and as someone as a free rider who does do some really things that look like viscerally impressive you know you look at it and you understand that's a human being doing something fucking wild <laughs> how do you feel when you spend ages putting a clip together to say it's a big risk shot really well maybe it's, maybe it's just one clip that goes out on instagram yeah on instagram you do see a lot of like community pages i'm doing inverted commas for those at home like yeah the, the air quotes the community pages who like you know they're called ride 247 and yeah. they want to spread riding to and they re obviously repost anything they can oftentimes yeah. without credit for sure most of the time yeah, yeah. how does because to me i think that's not cool and it annoys me because i think it's very dis disingenuous to be like we help help grow our communities like what fucking community you're leeching off other people yeah you're doing risking it life and limb. um to, yeah i mean 
massive amounts of work goes into creating these things. Um, yeah. Just for example, Dirt Diaries video was a six minute video and that was 24 days of shooting over two months. Like, And it, show, it shows the quality of it. It helped, you know. Yeah. You can't, there's no cheating with that sort of thing. And you put the work in, but you also got an amazing, amazing video. I just thank wanted to say yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think, I for some reason, it, those don't bother me too, too much. Those, those spreading pages, they're always going to be out there. And um, like I said, if, if I was looking for dollar value and creating these lines so that I could get paid and maximize my own gain, then sure, maybe that would annoy me. I'd be like, hey, you're posting my stuff, but you're not, you're not paying me. But for, for me, I'm not searching for the money. So it, mm. I don't really care. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> like I put it up, if you rip it, okay. whatever. But like I said, I built that line for me and I built it for my friends uh, to challenge ourselves and push our writing. And that's, that's good enough for me. I just happened to share it. Yeah. Like, honestly, I accredit all of my success and everything to my wife. Like I wouldn't be here if I didn't have her as my little personal back pocket photographer. Yeah. Like, I don't think I'm good enough. I wasn't good enough to like attract at the time attention from everyone, but because we just went out and we work, 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 and she gets a photo that she's proud of on riding that I'm proud of. And then we put that out and we're like, well, man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you 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 probably won't. You're probably not maybe giving yourself enough. I know you're trying to like, you know be fair with it, but obviously you are doing some, something really cool. And I think it feels like the sea to sky free ride scene is very healthy at the moment. Yeah, it. Um, that's. I mean, that's. A, I could go really deep into that topic right now. Actually, um, definitely progressing. Um, but um, unfortunately, like a. I know it's out on social media, but Avon um, yes. is currently hurt and really struggling with a very severe spinal cord injury and the community is really pulling together for him. We're all extremely worried. Enormously and, talented rider. Uh, one of the best. Yeah. Um, an amazing, genuine kid. Uh, you don't wish that on anyone, but um, yeah, it, uh, it happened and we're in communication with the parents. Um, you know, it's not a secret. It, it's out there and the yeah. updates are out there. Um, so our, you know, our fingers are crossed and our healing vibes are, are with him, but, um, yeah, like that, like I said, accidents can happen and he, I don't think was doing anything that was out of the norm for him at the time. Mm. So for me, I've seen so much progression in the Cetus guy and this has really impacted a lot of us, uh, myself, uh, and everyone involved. And I think we're definitely just a lot of people are in the same mindset that I am. So this is a good time that we're chatting about this is mm -hmm. I'm, it's just really solidifying that make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. And, um, but yeah. Yeah. But, I, uh, yeah. I mean, and from, uh, well, from all of us, obviously I hope he, I hope everything's, when I mean, it's just a super gnarly situation to be in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, like you said, to, when, 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 shit happens you're doing something you're really passionate about then hey but and this isn't specific to him yeah. but with anything be it mountain biking be it anywhere in the world doing any style whether it's xc or downhill like as long as yeah you're doing it for the right reasons i guess i mean it's, and it's hard to it's also hard because i think our, our egos win that and no one's ever going to be like just so you know everyone i'm doing this because i want everyone to like me exactly you know whenever we yeah you know, it's it's and you know you do see it i think in in other it's funny, I think you see it in the extremes of the sport. Another example I'd say would be ultra endurance stuff where 
the accusation of vanity cuts people really deep. Yeah. And so no one ever wants to say, I'm doing this to show that I could. Yeah. Everyone says they're doing it for some, some kind of expression they can't quite pin down. Right. No, actually, no, no one is better or worse than the, than the other. If you want to do something, be the first person to ever X, Y, Z, or do the fastest known time of ABC, good on you. Like, totally. But there's this really weird thing where it's like, you're not allowed to acknowledge there's an element of ego in it. Yeah. Because that would somehow sully the, the achievement. But, to- but people don't look at like Lena Messi, Messi and be like, so you won the World Cup, huh? Yeah. Why did you do that? He's like, because I'm incredibly competitive. Exactly. <laughs> that's a really good, uh, that's a good perspective and also self-awareness. And yeah, like if I think about myself, like why am I doing it? Yeah, I'm doing it for me. But at the same time, I want to show that I like doing big gnarly lines and that I can do it. So mm-hmm. for sure, there's, there's always going to be, you know, a little bit of ego, a little bit of any, it's just a, ba- it's a super balancing act yeah. that I think you can only find the balance with experience, crashes age like it it takes it takes a bunch of experiences and you can't just pass that on to people like mm-hmm. when i was younger like i went to costa rica and i was doing double gainers triple flips off 100 oh, foot wow. cliffs and oh, i come back into the fire hall at 23 years of age and the guys are like steve you got to slow down man you're gonna get hurt and i just middle finger to the sky i'm like <laughs> i'm like I mean, you guys you guys are soft like you don't even like you don't know, like I'm invincible and mm. you know, I wouldn't listen to anything. Even the most experienced person, if they're like, Hey Steve, like I got a really serious crash, uh, cliff jumping. I really think that you should be careful. I yeah. would have been like, yeah, cool, man. That's not me. Yeah. And that, that's how I, I was. And it's taken at that age, I would not have thought that I would be acting the way I am right now, yeah. but it's taken all these experiences, all these things that I've seen and witnessed in person and on TV to formulate who I am today and my personal uh, perspective on riding and risk. Yeah, it is. It's a very, it's a very crazy thing. The, the idea of risk and how we do incorporate it, like I said, into, into our lives, but also, also our egos. Were you always, so you started riding bikes at a young age. Were you doing anything else like any gymnastics or anything to, or were you just giving it a bloody good go? Uh, yeah, mostly mountain biking. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in Lynn, uh, Lynn Valley as well. Like basically it was skiing, biking and just cliff jumping into water. Mm-hmm. And that was, I'm a simple man. I was a simple kid. <laughs> That's pretty much. And my dad was a gnarly dude. Like my dad, I remember he took me into the Canyon when I was a kid, uh, Lynn Canyon, famous cliff jumping spot and swimming tourism spot. And he brought me this like 60 foot cliff as a kid. And he's like, this is what I did as a kid. You're going to do it. Wow. And I was like, Okay. And you basically just kind of sent me off these cliffs. So I had no choice, but to be born into this world of this. And that's kind of how I was raised. And I'm a byproduct of that. Yeah. But, uh, but I think there's something to be said, not for, hmm, how to put this. I've been, and it's going to sound dark. It's not meant to sound dark at all. It's actually been a really healthy thing. I can go there. Um, (laughs) I've been thinking more about death recently in a more positive sort of way, like how you know, I think you grow up through your teens and to your twenties and you assume that everyone is going to live to 75. Yeah. Like that's just how it is. And actually I've been thinking about it more and I'm like, well, X, Y, Z, that maybe this person didn't, maybe this, you know, and, um, realizing actually how to put this, you don't know when your time is going to be anyway, in terms of risk and getting out there and actually enjoying it and not being, it's a, obviously it's a balancing act, but not being so risk averse that yeah. you never go cliff jumping, maybe not 60 foot, 
but maybe 15 foot. Yeah. <laughs> you know? it, that's cool to hear you say that because I'd say we are hundred percent aligned on that. Mm. And just like you were saying, um, not so risk averse to being overly cautious and risk averse. If you're still partaking in that sport is detrimental and negative. You actually perform worse. Your confidence is lower and all you can think of is the negatives that could happen. And it's pretty much like the first part of it, biking is you're going to look where you want to go. If you're thinking negative thoughts, there's a really good chance something negative is going to happen. Yes. And I do a lot of coaching and mentoring for people. And when I'm taking them off the big feature for the first time, I'm like, do you see it? Uh, do you, you think you got it? And do you feel confident with it? Do you want it? And if they're like, honestly, I, I just see myself effing myself up. I'm like, today is not the day. Yeah. Like you gotta, you gotta like want to go off that cliff. And as you're going towards it, you gotta be like, I'm so excited to be in the air. Like, I'm so excited. I can't wait for that feeling. And then you're just going to be at your maximum confidence and your skills will be the highest. But if you're coming in stiff and braced, there's a very good chance that you're going to screw that up because you're going to ride like 50% worse just naturally. Yeah. So yeah, cool to hear you bring that up. I, and just like on that topic of death and life, uh, I see it every single day at work. Like, you know, I don't want to get too dark on this podcast, but yeah, I see super horrific things on the day-to-day basis and things that like I can't unsee. Yes. And it's like, it's a part of me. It is who I am today. I'm different than I was when I got hired, but I, I wouldn't change my career and anything I've lived through. But we, we do need, I think, as individuals, a full bandwidth of experience. And much like anything, whether it's tuning a television or, or, or whatever, like, I think there is an element of risk, of hmm, danger, of seeing things that, a bit of adversity, that can be like, yeah, a, a recalibration. Yeah. Like, oh, that's actually what's important to me. Oh, that's actually not important. That's completely superfluous. Yeah. Turns out that if I was on a desert island, um, the things that would be important to me would be, you know, these these things, the fundamental needs of survival, and the things I'd miss would be these people or this set of experiences. Yada yada yada. I wouldn't be concerned whether I have like an iPhone 11 or iPhone 13. It wouldn't it wouldn't come up. Yeah, you know, so true. Um, that's interesting. When when you think about your job. How long have you been doing exactly? Do you say you uh, 11, relatively 11 years I've been doing it. Years. I got hired at 23 and I'm 34 now. Do you think enough mountain bikers <laughs> know enough about first aid? No. I, 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 think <laughs> I've done a, I don't think I've ever done a first aid. Maybe I did a first aid course when I was like 16. Yeah. But largely my tactic would be to chit chat until someone who actually knew what they do came along. I would just go into distraction mode. Yeah. Fair. But that's all I would know. To, to be honest, if you can keep a level head that, that is beneficial on its own, but I, I would say no. Like I've definitely seen a lot of bad crashes. Uh, and I've responded to bad crashes at work and there's oftentimes there is someone that knows, but there are a lot of people that have no idea what they're doing mm. for first aid. So definitely a really valuable skill to have there. Um, before Fire- I was even a firefighter, I was a ski patroller up Grouse oh, Mountain. Wow. And that was almost a gnarlier job because I would respond to these people that would be going full speed into lattice towers with no helmet on and get super mangled and then I would uh, you know come up as a 19 year old ski patroller and it's just me for like 10 minutes by myself waiting for backup to come yeah stabilizing and treating these and that taught me skills that were like very valuable yeah. for for biking and being alone in the forest I remember once I was the first person to arrive at a head on car collision oh jesus and luckily everyone was everyone was okay in the end you know but 
I'm I'm a very squeamish person. Fair. I'm not very good with blood. <laughs> That's okay. But um, I like did my best, and like you know, I think I think there's like a degree of hmm. When it's mandatory that you've just got to be there, you've got to be present, it's okay. Yeah. I wouldn't, but I wouldn't be good at, I wouldn't seek any of that stuff out, you know. And um, I remember I kind of made sure everyone was okay. Other people started, we kind of went into organization mode and I was like, wow, I'm going to, I've slowed down other cars. Yeah. And like the second car I slowed down, I flagged them down. Like, you know, they were maybe a hundred meters from the incident. I said, sorry guys, it's been a head on. We're going to be here for a while. And this lady was like, you're fucking joking. Oh my. What are you? Oh, and I was there like, I, I mean, I, I, ah. she was what so you, annoyed at me. What do you say to that? Yeah. How is it with, how is it being a first responder with other people around the incident? Do that, you think that, what's that like? Cause I've heard it, strange things. That sounds like quite, it could be quite a stressful situation. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's funny. A lot, a lot of these things I was just chatting about with my, my coworkers, which I think is. I actually hit him up there, part of my research. I, uh. Yeah, asked around. <laughs> no, yeah, that. Um, yeah, we chat a lot about these things. Like that is what I've learned is the healthy way to deal with trauma and the PTSD oh, God, and all yeah. the really horrific things that I see. Um, but uh, yeah, it's funny. There's there's always a few factors that affect me on a call. What I actually see, um, my skill level, and then yeah, bystanders. And like the, sometimes the reactions of bystanders can actually leave like a lot of trauma on me. Like yes. I went I'm to. Sorry, man quite a bad call a few years ago involving a, a cyclist truck and it was kind of like a war scene down there of people running around screaming and it had really affected them and mm. some of the things that i remember from that call like you know when i you know have like a nightmare about it or like i'm speaking about it in a counseling session i remember that i remember the like the screams of other people mm. and their inability to cope with what they've seen yeah. um, or their lack of empathy can be really just like, you're like, how could you possibly react this way? It could be, it can be a massive obstacle. I imagine. Yeah. Like I used to also build the gross grind trail and uh, you know, busiest trail in the entire world as far as count of that. So occasionally and unfortunately there will be people that have passed away on the trail being wow. older and I've carried these people down off the mountain and there are people coming up the trail that aren't willing to lo lose their perfect grind time to you walking down. So they'll actually try and get around you as you're carrying wow. someone out of the trail. So That's interesting awful. that you've had that experience. Mm. Uh, you don't, not everyone reacts the same way. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. There's something, there's something very, well, kind of, a, I don't know. I think I would say disappointing, but not surprising mm -hmm. about that maybe. Yeah. I wonder if it comes from desensitization of, people seeing things in social media or in videos or just i don't know or the news like there's so much bad things that happen that when they see it in reality they kind of brush off the the human side They're like oh yeah. again i'm like well it's actually happening right in front of you it's not on a yeah. screen this is real i, I once read i can't remember because it, it varies on plane to plane but each commercial flight needs to have somewhere to put a body that's interesting you know Makes sense. like a certain cupboard or a certain this just in case someone dies Wow, which, which I'm not I'm not saying I disagree with, but it is funny the way that the human mind works because that person has sadly passed now, and whether they're behind it in a plywood cupboard or not, it doesn't actually. Yeah, but we're so I don't know. It's not for me to say, but it's strange that we're so unwilling to see death. Yeah, you know, and I think that's why sometimes when it comes, you know, we live in the sea to sky. People listening to this, I presume, are mountain bikers. If they're not. They're, they're clearly kind of got nothing else better to do. Yeah. 
<laughs> but uh, people oust, we, we kind of get acclimatized to a certain level of risk or certain level of danger. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Oh, I did an ACL. Oh, I broke my arm. And it was, oh, that sucks, man. But that's it. Oh, yeah. you know, that, I'm sorry to hear it. But then you tell people who aren't mountain bikers who maybe don't actually do an ex- extreme sport or whatever this is, an outdoor pursuit. And um, they're shocked. Yeah. You pop their shoulder back in. Yeah. What? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. And it, to us, we're, we're kind of more normal about it. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah, some people just don't, they want to turn a blind eye and, and pretend it doesn't exist. Some people, I don't. It's, it's world. I think, I don't know if I said this already. I worked a night shift last night. So if I have peanut butter mouth today and my, <laughs> my words aren't coming out perfectly, I can be better than this. I'm just <laughs> no, a little no, bit no, tired being, being and I'm running on a lot of coffee. So, mm. um, but, um, yeah, like I've had people ask me before, like, Hey, what, I don't know why they ask me this, but like, Hey, what's the worst call you've ever had in your mm. life? Gnarly. And then I used to answer. And then it, the amount of people that were like upset or shocked that I told them that yeah. was crazy. Yes. Well, why did you ask me? First of all, why did you ask me and why do you want to know that? Yeah. And two, why would you make me relive that? But uh, yeah, people are like, oh my God, I didn't want to hear that. Why did you yes. tell me that? I'm like, well, you literally just asked me. But that is strange. Now I don't, uh, I've really, over my 11 years, I've tailored my answers and mm. I will read the person and I'll vet the person. And for me speaking, like even you and I chatting about this, it's literally therapy for me. Like mm. it helps me. I like to chat about it but I won't chat about it with just anyone and I won't dive into the details with just everyone. Mm. But it, uh, this goes for everything. It's good to talk about things. Yes. I think it's good to talk about things. I think I agree with what you said about, hmm, when things, when something is maybe cathartic or therapeutic, you know, it's important to dispel. It's so lovely to talk. I think it's a really human thing to, to expel a human emotion and to land on another human. And that's really great. But I think also sometimes you can feel the vulnerability, the double-edged sword of it can be you feel like you've cheapened, just cheapened. Because if, if you give some, somebody something really raw needed to get out and they just go, heh. Yeah. I remember one time, this is sort of not, this is more superficial, this is about bicycle world. No worries. <laughs> but I was, um, I was working this bike shop, this would have been years ago. And uh, like I said, I had delusions of grandeur about my own riding. And I'd got this email to say this bike brand was going to sponsor me. They wanted to know my frame size and basically what colour I'd want. And this was sort of, I think for, as a young, as a young man, that's sort of all I ever wanted was like having like a factory yeah. bike brand deals. It's oh validating. God. Yeah, very validating. I think in an industry where we don't give much validation because it's a load of blokes who just maybe buy the old beer for each other. Yeah, totally. It's a really strong form of validation. And I got this email and there's this guy in the, in the bike shop and for whatever reason, me and him just hadn't particularly hit it off. And he was the first person I told this news. It's like, dude, oh my God. You know, I, I told him, oh my God, they went, I was just so excited. And he just went, all right. And then carried on working. Yeah, deflated. Deflating. Yeah. And I think that that goes both ways, both in terms of the exciting bits, but also in terms of, yeah, like, knowing that something can be, someone's going to be receptive to something makes it a lot more cathartic for me. Totally. I, and yeah, it's hard. Not everyone is going to respond the way you want and you have to change your expectations. Yes. But also not everyone's comfortable responding. I, I, I find it funny that, you know, when we talk about risk, we're obviously talking about physical risk, but right. there's a huge amount of people like that can maybe do something super gnarly on a bike, but then the idea of maybe being emotionally vulnerable is really, or going towards a source of emotional pain or risk yeah. is very, very, very scary and, and vice versa. I mean, there isn't one better than the other or anything like that, but it's just funny that risk 
when we think about it, is often in the area we, we allow ourselves to be risky in. Right. Um, for instance, I'm quite a risk averse person, but I'm very open in terms of maybe emotional right. vulnerability or risk, which some people think if I rode with somebody that maybe rode with me, they'd be like, wow, you, you, you never take any risk. But then if it was moved to a country, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but then they might see that. And it's, it's funny. I think that oftentimes the way that we risk or the, yeah, the, the area we allow ourselves to risk in is an interesting relationship because it's like, hmm. Risk to itself is validating, and this is the arena that I do it in, and this is the risk arena, and this is how I express it, and that's where the catharsis comes from. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to do it, and it doesn't count if I did it in another way. Right. If I accidentally blurted out some home truths or something yeah. in a conversation, maybe with my family or, or a loved one or whatever, that's not the risk that I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm looking for a very specific, I want to go off a 12-foot drop to flat on a mountain bike and nothing else. <laughs> if, that's, if that's the risk that you're comfortable taking, is it even risky? Oh, yeah, true. I don't know. Well, yeah. So, yeah, it's... This is this is a wonderful conversation. Yeah, by the it's way. Good, I, good, this man. is definitely going in cool directions. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I like it. Yeah, um, funny that you split that between emotional and um, yeah, like physical risk. Mm. Because I've always been very, very risky when it comes to like action sports and things like that. And then a little bit more of a closed book. It was super important for, to me to like portray that I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah, and wasn't trying to be like hard, but I was just that it was very important to me that I like, I don't feel pain. I'm not afraid of anything. And I have really, really been enjoying and working on opening up that other side of me, despite, you know, the, what society may think, or, you know, I Mm -hmm. don't know, but yeah, yeah, like um, just to speak to that, like this year at work, like we have in place programs where if you need to take a time out due to any mental health reasons that you can do it. And I'm like, well, I don't need that. I've mm-hmm. never needed that. But uh, after I crashed last year, I had really gnarly concussion symptoms with memory and I'm frustrations, sorry, anxiety, wow. sleeping, like wasn't myself. Um, then I started dealing with like some like crazy gut health issues and I started feeling sick. And then I just got, I became the black cloud of work and started getting really terrible calls with like traumas and suicides and things like that. And then I just went to work and then I broke. My brain just like snapped one day and I, I, I walked into management office. I'm like, I got to go. Yeah. And this was, uh, this was in May. And then I just kind of disappeared for, I didn't do anything from know. May till yeah. June and I just tapped out. Yeah. And uh, that was like life-changing for me, actually. Like I dove into a ton of conversations. I chatted with a lot of people and just realized like, like you said, you're not here to, or you may not necessarily live the longest, but you want to make the most of it. And that's like, that's what I value right now is human interaction, being vulnerable, being empathetic, being there for people. And just, I love these real chats. Yeah. And that's been, this been one of like the biggest years of growth for me personally. Fantastic. And because of that, like I was not riding basically from my crash till that point. And I'm like, I don't want to do anything. And like that allowed me to kind of heal there. And then when I went back to work, it was literally like right when I went back to work, I started shooting the Dirt Diaries video and I just felt like, boom, I'm back. Like yeah. I feel good and I, I've been feeling great now. But it, there's, know, there's, there's, I'm not afraid to say that I, yeah. my brain broke. <laughs> well, there's so much I want to say to that. I mean, firstly, I think that the way that we, you see a lot in World Cup racing and it's, I think it's pretty fucked up. If you had someone that had trained who'd from say the age of five 
the age of 25, I'd only ever dreamed of, I don't know, being like a brain surgeon. Right. And they'd put all the work, every step of the way, they'd always been as good as they could be, yada, yada, yada. And then at 25, they broke their hand. And suddenly the dream could be over, right? Yeah. The accepted response would be, this is going to come with some form of emotional baggage. And, and maybe a form of therapy or something would be probably considered within the realms of normality. But how many mountain bikers do you know who have nearly like risked or lost their career through one injury or had it massively derailed? And they haven't got, like, I mean, I at the World Cup say, oh, you should go to a therapist about that. They're like, you mean a sports psychologist? I'm like, no, this no. isn't about your sport. This is about you as a human. Because you might do your sport for two hours a day, but you're a human for 24 hours a day. Nice. And well, like, but- you know, and it, I was quite surprised at the amount of resistance about that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with you. And I would have been in that camp probably too. Um, I think people view that more like there's something wrong with you and that's yes. why you're going. But now I view it as a little bit more of even preventative maintenance and maintenance. Like that's you, how I view it. Yeah. yeah. Like you work on your bike, you work on your car and you can't expect those things to keep running forever. Um, like maybe you're good till you're 20. For me, I made it till I was 34 before like the baggage of life, stress, injuries, concussions, PTSD, trauma mm. caught up to me. And then I just had to be like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And I had a lot of good mentors at the fire hall that pushed me in that direction. And I'm so grateful for them. And now I want to do that for other people. And I've actually had like an overwhelming amount of people reach out to me on social media and be like, Hey, like I've had a crash or this has happened to me. How did you come back? And I'm like responding to all of them because I'm like, yeah, man, that's a great question. Like, this is how I came back. This is what I worked through. And, you know, like give yourself the time, don't Mm -hmm. rush it. And I, that's kind of something I want to give to the bike industry is that. I love the idea of preventative maintenance. I think, you know, you you know, when you see, I don't know if you've ever seen it maybe, but on the beach you get in England, you might see um, typically old, older gentlemen walking along with metal detectors. Yeah. And they're trying to see if any, any, you know, find anything interesting. Now, at worst, they have a nice walk on the beach. Yeah. And at best, they find something really interesting or worthwhile. Cool. That's kind of why I think about therapy. That's awesome. I often, I mean, it's been a really wonderful experience for me. I kind of had a crazy couple of years um, in general, um, which, so I haven't been going as regularly as I like, but I try and go regularly if only to have, a, have the walk on the beach. Yeah. And maybe it's just a nice chat. And sometimes we can, after half an hour, we're like, you know what? Although it's funny because my, uh, I persuaded some of my friends to go to see my therapist over the years. Oh, nice. this lady called Norma who, um, sounds nice. Yeah. Who lives in, I think she lives in Michigan. Okay. Oh, and I call her to my friends, auntie Norma. It just makes me laugh. And I've got loads of my mountain biking friends to see her over the years. Amazing. And now she lo- knows so much about mountain biking. Having never seen it in real life, having never watched the World Cup, she's like, and they didn't qualify, and I bet that upset them. Amazing. <laughs> she knows like the regulations. She knows about Discovery taking over. She knows oh, about that's, it's that's great, so man. awesome. <laughs> and that's so cool laugh. that you found someone like that because that's the hardest thing too is for sure finding someone that you. Yes, I might have to check out Norma, Auntie Norma. Anyone wants to hit me up, I will. How does she feel about free riders? Has she got a, a good free rider section? I think she probably. <laughs> she, she, She's probably tuning up on New World Disorders as we speak. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. She, she's great. That's super cool. Yeah, I'm glad we, we, we popped into this topic because it's just, I do feel like a lot of, it's starting to become more and more popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like cool seeing it into a sport like the aggressive raw mountain biking. Mm. Like, treat, like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's powerful and it's rad and it's good for longevity. Have you ever done any, just a, a tangent, going to go down it? Have you ever done any mind-bending drugs to think about, in, in terms of not a distraction from mental health, 
but as a way to focus upon it. I haven't done like overly mind-bending quantities, but mm. I've certainly done some things that uh, have been therapeutic and mm. good, like to yeah. a certain level and, uh, you know, a nice nature walk and um, yeah, just allow yourself to like kind of push past the like scales or the hard exteriors and then just yeah. being able to dive into, because I think our, like, just like calluses on your hand protect you so you can do hard work, like you callous up your emotions yes. and things like that just so like you know you might start thinking about it like Ooh, this is like a painful emotional topic but you try to explore it and you're like nah like mm. i don't need to go there but uh yeah like you know what you just said you can use that to to kind of break through that wall and then yes yeah, even i've had chats with guys before and i'm like oh man we went down some some sweet talks there <laughs> and then even for a week or two weeks after i'm buzzing like i'm yeah. feeling lighter and really happy that i spoke about that yeah. and you know, it's just sometimes you find out that just that person has the same thoughts that you thought were only your weird thoughts that make you, man, I'm a weird person. I can't yeah. believe that I think this about myself or others. And you're like, oh, that guy thinks that too. Mm. That guy has the same doubts and fears. Ah, cool. Like yeah. I, I'm, I'm less alone here. No, no, totally. When I, we spoke about the Pink Bike podcast before, <laughs> but um, a couple of years ago, I, I had a very large dose of magic mushrooms. Nice. I nearly got lost in the woods, nearly froze to death. It was terrifying. <laughs> it was awful. What a great experience. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't come out and uh, if oh. it, you might have been the one to find me if, if I'd had the wherewithal to not lose my phone immediately. I have been to ma magic mushroom overdoses. I'm using quotations. <laughs> and you just got to like share with the person like, you're going to be okay. I've been there. They're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, you'll be okay. Yeah, you're going to be okay. Well, I, I had a big one and um, I basically did. I haven't talked about this aspect of it before, but I um I basically did like ten years worth of therapy in one night. Nice. I'd be walking along, and I would love to have been a fly on the wall for it because I was thinking a million miles an hour by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. In the dark, I couldn't see. I was walking into trees. I had black eyes and stuff the next day because I'd walked into so many trees. Yeah. Oh my, that's so gnarly. <laughs> and I would just think, and then I would just shout out an answer, and there were three answers that I still they're like my precious answers, you know, because I know they're the key tenants of some discomfort in my life. But as um as cool. I come into this into twenty twenty three. There are some things that I was very profoundly and re really grieving um, from this last little chapter in my life. And um, not to endorse anything, but I revisited mushrooms actually for yeah. the, just to try and knuckle down and grieve. And I'd get my backpack, I'd put a fleece and some sandwiches in there, and I'd just go walk for miles. Amazing. And um, that'd be my weekend, just Powerade, sandwiches, fleece, some music. I thought about what would that. give me comfort if I was in, and sometimes, man, I'm in like, dude, I was in it. And it was very cathartic. Yeah. It was very cathartic and very, very special, actually. And um, I don't know if anyone, maybe maybe people were seeing me, but I just didn't notice, but sometimes I'd be like lying in a fetal position, like, ah, so much pain. Yeah, but, but it felt a really way to, great way to honor some really important things to me that were no longer a part of my life. That's pretty amazing. I, I love that. And I've done a lot of research into the benefits of that. And it's, it's proven mm. and a lot of, psychologists and people are using that as as therapy mm. that's really cool like but i think the attitudes in bc are different to the rest of the world in the sure. uk if someone bought a big pack, pack of magic mushrooms you'd be like holy shit yeah here it's more like what do you know yeah <laughs> someone came prepared and that's cool because i think you know with um as this topic of trauma emotional things and dealing with things um not what not the same thing works for every single person yeah. and as people have explored like hey what other avenues for dealing with therapy and counseling for people 
they've they've branched out and they're like hey maybe these like substances could help and that's mm-hmm. cool to see that being used because maybe just sitting there and talking isn't going to get through to someone well, so I think, I think you're right i mean i think that sometimes one can it can be like yin, yin and yang and sometimes i think therapy or maybe something like a um like an experience with a substance isn't necessarily about exercising the the thought and like extracting it out of the fucking ether of your mind but it's actually just about giving you the basic tools you might need to even approach it yeah you know just like how how you articulate yourself how you how how your mind may be malleable to new ideas maybe it wasn't prepared for an idea at the time right maybe it it just couldn't have done it um do you think you know i've heard quite exciting rumors in the past about the use of sort of these maybe kind of more psychedelic drugs in racing do you think that i don't know when we talk about managing fear and things like this i've, I've heard of people microdosing yeah aws's and it's done them good yeah i've heard of one of the i mean, i'm just not going to name yeah. names but one Very of the vague. like gnarliest kind of free ride guys in the lower mainland area that i know of frequently yeah does that microdose certain things yeah and They've offered it to me once, and I'm like, oh, no, man, I don't want yeah. to do that. They're like, yeah, yeah, see yourself, but they're, they're in it. performing, and yeah, that's it's really cool. I yeah. guess it can tap, you can tap into the, because it's yeah, with fear and everything, it's all about tr- like trusting yourself, being confident, and like solely making that decision, and just you know, trusting yourself, and mm-hmm. that w- will get you to be introspective enough to be like, oh yeah. Yeah, I got this. this yeah. I'm just looking inside and there's nothing but confidence and, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I'm good. Mm. And yeah, that's super cool. I haven't dabbled in that. Um, it would scare the shit out of me. It, I just, I don't know. I think I think I wouldn't like it, but I maybe I wouldn't. Either. I haven't tried it. Um, but yeah, whatever whatever can get you to that right headspace. And it really is all all headspace. Yes. Not all headspace, but having some skills helps. <laughs> but uh, I've really enjoyed coaching. And that's, like I said already before, that is something that I teach people is the value of headspace, confidence, and being able to get to that place in your mind that you're not just, you know, YOLOing, I I hope this works. It's like, well, that Mm -hmm. will eventually run out. So like, yeah. And I think the, you know, you mentioned the sort of lower mainland area. I think it's really interesting because we, you know, we spoke early on in the conversation about free ride dying, right? And the free ride bike, the 170, 180 mil single crown bike. Yeah. Obviously dying, it was never coming back until like three years later when it came back as the enduro bike. I'm on it. Yeah, yeah that's me. Well, yeah. But like the modern enduro bike in some ways is for this area that we live in where you can maybe pedal up a access road and then drop into something super gnarly. The modern enduro bike is kind of like the perfect free ride bike. It's so, it's so perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I, 90% of my riding's on my DaVinci Spartan, which is running in 180 mil single crown fork. And I really don't reach for anything else unless I'm in the bike park. And that's purely because it's just nice to be on a big couch in the bike park. Yeah. It's more comfortable. It is more comfortable. But yeah, it's really cool. It's, I love the evolution of bikes telling you like, I'm such a tech nerd. You are a tech nerd. Watch all your videos. Oh God. I watch, I watch the Vorsprung Tuesday tune. They are great to be fair. Shout out to them. They're amazing. Yeah. Steve's Mm. unreal. I got to meet him the other day, but you know, like when I had a back injury a while ago, I'd be like soaking in the bath, like an old man and. I'd have a little floating beer there and my wife would come home and I'd be sitting there with the Tuesday tune playing and she's like, <laughs> you have the world's most pathetic life. Like, this is so sad. I'm like, I don't think so. But uh, yeah, I just love that. I 
I enjoy the evolution of bikes. Mm -hmm. Like some say it's improving. Some say it's, they don't like the direction it's going, but regardless, I think it's, it's cool to see the changes, cool to test it all out. And how tall are you? I'm 6'2". And are you on full 29 or do you have a mixed wheel bike? Um, I, I've been 29 for the past three years. And then my new DaVinci Chainsaw is a mullet. And what, what do you think? Uh, I love it. I think uh, where I noticed it, it gets on the back wheel a little easier. Like yeah. it, I noticed it manual, like, ooh, like got in the back and uh, it flips great. Like I did a backflip with it, shooting the Dirt Diaries video and it was like, ooh. You know how everyone loves back wheel? I've got a confession to make to you, Steve. I'm impartial to back wheel. Really? Impartial to back wheel. Henry Quinney, you heard it here. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't have the skill set to really exploit that. I mean, I, I love it through the turns. I feel that like smaller wheels, they get hung up on the Y-axis less when yeah. you transition between turns, maybe less mass. Um, what's the development in the last couple of years, maybe on these enduro bikes that can, like you said, have a 180 mil fork that can even go to a, a proper downhill fork. But what's one development that you've really been thankful for? Or one area that like, man, I'm glad this is, is what it is now. Um, I think, yeah, I would say slacker head tube angles yeah. is it, you don't realize the difference it makes like, you know, running a 65 and then getting on like a 63 and a half in a trail bike. You're like, wow, this inspires significant, uh, more confidence. Uh, and then just seeing, you know, bikes be super, super, super heavy. And then now getting that similar free ride build. Like, you know, I used to ride a 2007 demo seven, which was like, whatever the travel was, um, I guess seven inches of travel. And the thing was like 47, 48 pounds. <laughs> and if you look at them side by side, the untrained eye would be like, those are the same. Like mm -hmm. your demo seven with a single crown and a totem is the same as your Da Vinci Spartan, but they're different in weight by like 14 pounds. So it's, it's cool to see it shifted way towards incredibly light bikes and then you'd break them. And then it kind of has found a bit of a balance where it's like no like if you want a really burly bike you can't have it be sub or around 30 pounds so yeah that would say the strength to weight ratios and the geometry advancements like bikes that fit me like i like a 505 510 reach at 62 yeah whereas i probably was down riding a 445 mil demo seven yeah nice and then you, you watch the videos of me back in like 2007 and you're like wow how did i do that i think knees to shifters used to be a real problem Totally. I imagine yeah. for you it was a very big problem. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, what when you when you're kind of say you've got your Spartan, which is your your pedal bike, you use it for trail. I seem like trail enduro riding. Yeah. Do you go a particular way in terms of setup? Is there anything outliers in terms of maybe bars or suspension setup? And do you change that ever for your hooks, or do you just ride the same setup all the time? I, I do sacrifice a, a like a buttery smooth ride on some of the chunkier trails for a stiffer, more progressive ride. Um, cause I've kind of favor big kind of poles with big compressions that will mm. like require like significant ramp. Um, and the thing that I change all the time is my tire pressure. Mm. I'm really picky about my tire pressure, my casing inserts, all that. And, and what would you, if you want us through, what would, do you want downhill? What casings do you want? Yeah. So on my, even on my trail bike, I run dual Kishkor pro front and rear, uh, double down in the front DH casing, Maxxis tires in the back. And that allows me to like on a wet day, if I'm filming something gnarly, like I can run 19 or 20 PSI, yeah. 20, 21 in the back, which is like really low, but the thick casing and the inserts will save me. And then that way I'm not destroying product. And, but I'm also getting like a lot of grip. Like when I went and re-rode that feature that I really killed, like almost killed myself on last year, I think I was so scared of dying, like legitimately terrified of dying. 
and I probably ran like 17, 19. That mm-hmm. was my pressure. I'm like, I don't care if I break anything. I just don't want it to be me. Yes. I'm going to run really low pressure. So, and as, as a first responder, how did, because it was, on, it was in Tour de Nord, it was the first. Yeah. Yeah. How did everyone else cope? Did, did they give you the care that yeah. you, you were? They were <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Johan's such a good buddy. Um, I actually love this. This is funny to go and revisit uh, this because I actually haven't thought about it too much because it was so scarring at the time. Mm. But I broke a lot of things. Like it, I broke my sternum, my oh, ribs, shit. my collarbone. I punctured my lung. I concussed myself. I tore my meniscus and I broke something in my wrist. So like I was really hurt. Really um, I was like concussed enough that I actually walked out. Like I was so mangled that I didn't even think about how mangled I was. And I was able to just get myself out, which I also don't want to call my colleagues to come pull me out. Mm. I'm like, if I call the, the fire department, it's my buddies that are coming to get me. I don't really want them to see me like this. <laughs> so I pretty I'm much, gonna live it down. <laughs> yeah, I'll pretty much get myself out. And yeah, I remember getting to the hospital and then, scanning me they'll be like you know you punctured a lung right i'm like no no i did not know that mm. but um what was the question again just about like the, the, the <laughs> as, as you as a group of mountain bikers obviously all quite extreme in their own way doing the tour de Nord, did they manage to give yeah. you the appropriate level of care do you think just 100 percent, they yeah. did yeah everything stopped they asked my opinion we had doctors there that were oh, wow. emergency doctors that we had hired and friends that were there to help us and yeah they they gave me the time no one was no one cared about the event at all they were like whatever this is we make sure you're okay and then i was like i'm good like you guys should keep going and i want you to keep going and once i was gone they definitely did not hit that feature um which is still to that this day there's only me yoan and remy have ever hit that feature Mm. um because it's quite sketchy and yeah they kind of gave that the respect, gave themselves the respect that they shouldn't do it. And then they did carry on once I was taken care of. But 100%, the community was so... They were great. Take care of their own first. And then I believe the snowball took a while to get going again. Like it shook a few people. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they were great. It's funny. It's a funny because the first time I ever hit that feature, it was just Kelsey and I in the forest by herself. Yes. Just the two of us. Oh, shit. And Kelsey, she like looked at me and I had... Like, this, there's... Do we have time? This story, Absolutely. Fuck this story yeah. keeps backtracking no, no, because no, no, no. the funny thing about this feature is my, my good buddy, Brian, he's like, Hey man, I found this line for you. Like you should build. It's like, Oh, sick. Draw me the pin. So I went and checked out on it or looked at it. And I was like, I don't think Brian likes me very much. This is so, <laughs> this is pure death if you screw this up, yeah. but I'm into it. That's a cool challenge. So I spent a month kind of prepping it and building it. And I'm like, Hey man, check it out. I built it. And he's like, dude, that is not the line that I meant for you to build. It was on the backside of the rock. I'm like, oh, wow. so I look on the backside. I'm like, yeah, that made more sense. That was wow. a lot more chill, but I'm like, okay, well, regardless, this has been made. It's me and Kelsey there. And I was slapping the final shovel for the next big film day. And I'm like, I don't think I can sleep tonight. Like I have to do this right now. And she's like, are you serious? Like, it's just the two of us. And I was like, to be honest, the outcome of failure is death because it's on the edge of a 110 foot cliff. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, that's totally true. You're right go for it. Wow. So wow. She's like, I was like, you know, if I fall off this cliff, like there's no amount of help is going to help me. And she's like, oh, that makes sense. Don't screw up. Good luck. <laughs> so it, it's a, it's a really eerie video. It's just me up at the top, like I'm dropping. And then she, she was at the bottom and, oh man, it was such a rad experience. Like yeah. just the two of us. And we're like, okay. Hugged. Sounds very special. Yeah. Hugged, survived, left. Went for burgers and a beer. Went for burgers and beers later. And wow. 
And yeah, that was like, that was all headspace. Like I was in a way stronger headspace at the time. I wouldn't like now I wouldn't do that. Mm. That was three or four years ago. And how does it feel as someone that is building stuff for you to ride? Is it strange that feature's still out there? And if somebody, like there's this, I remember one time, I'm working in Queenstown in a rental shop, this was years ago, and we sold this child a giant trance, mm-hmm. ex-rental bike, 120 mil travel, and he went straight away up to Dream, having never ridden mountain bike before. Oh, Jesus. And just, <laughs> and just obviously didn't, didn't get halfway to the landing. Yeah. But he like broke loads of bones and we were there like, oh my God, oh my God, like maybe, well, we didn't do anything wrong, but at the same time we were like, it was crazy that that was his level of confidence. Yeah. What's it like knowing that you've built some really gnarly lines for you and they're out there? And maybe there's just a deluded, not, yeah. not deluded, but overconfident, maybe a better word. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's a stress and anxiety for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think about that a lot. And I think though that the things that I create are, you know, I put a lot of time into them and I spend a lot of time searching for things and they have to satisfy, in order for me to put the effort into building, it's got to satisfy some things. It has to like be really challenging, take a long time to build and just look really insane. So when you actually see these things in person, they're so like big and scary and dangerous that there is not really going to be a person that hits it that isn't confident. Mm. And that brings me a bit of peace. Like, yeah, like I, I really hope that no one goes and does it without the skill over or that's doing it for the right reason. But like, you can't look at it and think anything other than I better be on my A game <laughs> or I'm going to die. Yeah. And I've had a lot of like really talented riders, um, like Killian Braun came to look at it and like, I respect that guy's insane. He's insane. And, and he looked well. at it and he's like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. I have no interest in it. And he had no ego about it. He's like, the risk is not worth the reward for me. That's way too sketch. I'm mm. like, totally. Don't worry about it. Yeah. I've got a new little game I play with myself. That every time I walk something, I congratulate, congratulate myself for not letting my ego win. Nice. And it's really nice. That is good. I make sure I leave the forest with a smile on my face. Live to like another the ego day. didn't win today. Yeah. Maybe I could have done it. Maybe I couldn't have. But it's actually really nice. It's nice to, there's something about it. I find it quite liberating. It's a great feeling. It's a really great feeling to be like, you know what? It wasn't for me that day. Maybe I'll do it another time. Maybe I won't. And you're Who riding knows? for the right reasons. Yeah, like, I try, man. I mean, yeah. my Strava is an absolute shit show, but apart from that. I don't even have Strava. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like actually not very competitive. Oh, you know, not really. No, I like, yeah, everyone's like competitive and everyone has like a bit of ego, but I don't know. That's why I'm not a racer and I don't really compete in anything is mm-hmm. I just like, eh, yeah. like I'm here for. I build because I like it and I ride because I like it and I would never push anyone to do anything they don't want to do, but I'm there to support you if you are. Um, I was doing yeah. a, a, a getting to know with Matt Beer the other day. Great and dude. We talk, he's a great dude. And we're just, talking about testing. Just on the phone with him, he's, talk, he's helping with my gut health journey. Oh, is it? Yeah. The guy's got some skills. Yeah, with that. yeah. He, he's, he's, he knows his stuff. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about like testing and I think sometimes... The way that we talk about it, like when you get sometimes get into a corner or when you solve a problem or maybe you just don't like the bike you're on. But I've, we were talking about it and it kind of clicked for me that like we work at the ice cream factory and our job is tasting the ice cream. And you would never be like, well, I haven't eaten enough ice cream today. Or yeah, I, I, I can't believe I don't enjoy this one as much. The strife, the pain, no one knows my world, you know. <laughs> it's like it's a pretty good deal. And um, mountain biking on whatever level, it's just eating ice cream. Yeah. Don't make yourself sick. <laughs> Yeah, that's well said. I the way I see it, people are like, oh, does it ever you know anything ever get to your head? I'm like, dude, I'm pretty, I'm decent at mountain biking, but I don't do surgery on brains. Like, yeah, it's just mountain biking, man. Yeah, it's so sick, and 
every decision I make now is so that I can just like live to ride another day yep. and ride with the pals and just keep doing it because that is like so valuable. Yeah. It's the best, man. Like I, I love filming, but I pretty much actually don't like put up much like Instagram reels of iPhone stuff because I hate pulling my phone out when I ride. Yeah. I hate it. I hate getting clips for the most part. I just want to ride with the, with people. Yes. So then the nice thing is like Kelsey is our filmer, my filmer photographer. We have dedicated days towards that. Other than that, I'm a hundred percent like present and riding and for sure iPhone clips sometimes if yeah, you're sessioning but something, hey. but I'm not just going to like hit something and be like, Hey, we should turn around and get an iPhone clip on that. I'm like, let's just keep going. This is sick. Yeah. So good, man. Yeah. Well, that's a really nice place to leave it. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, man. I really yeah. enjoyed that conversation. It's been great. That was, I, you know, I'm going to be buzzing off this for like a week. Like that was a little Norma therapy session <laughs> yeah, for me. Norma. <laughs> and uh, I thank you for that. And thanks for listening. No, mega. Thank you so much, man. Cheers. Okay, so that was the conversation with Steve, which I, like I said, I absolutely just, I was, I was just fanboying so hard. I think he's great. I love what he's doing in mountain biking. And um, I don't know, he just seems like the real fucking deal in a really lovely way. Um, we're going to leave you with, there's actually a comment on last week's Pink Bike podcast, which made me laugh a lot. It's called Blingle Speed. And he said, uh, I was just getting to write my, sorry, I was just getting ready to write my Dear Mike letters to the tune of Stan until Henry did his privacy speech last week. I never got past, I drank a fifth of Monster, dare me to drive. (laughs) And it really made me laugh a lot. It made you laugh even more if I butchered saying monster, which apparently is an unexpected (laughs) hard word for me. Um, We're also going to leave you with Music Corner. Matthew, what is your submission for this week's Music Corner? Yeah, I've been listening to this band called Wolf People. uh, And the album was... I think it was called Ruins. Yeah. But yeah, they're sort of like psych rock and they have some neat sounds. Sick. Easy jam, jamming music. Amazing. And Alicia, what what would your submission be? I'm going to pick a song that I've been listening to. It's called Hell and You by Amigo the Devil. Mm, It's a good song. song. Um, I just, I like the mood of it a lot. It's very melodramatic, which to me feels kind of like delightfully self-indulgent sometimes in a way that is my favorite thing ever. Um, so I think I'm just going to have to pick that and stick with that. Oh, great stuff. Nice. Mine's very kind of, mine's a bit of a, very light. It's a song that, I don't know if you maybe got it over here, but it was huge in the UK when I was a kid. Um, it's by Corner Shop. It's Brimful of Asher. It's the Norman Cook Fat Boy Slim remix. And I just love it. It's just got such clean vocals, man. The vocals are just so clean and it's just so much, it's just, it's just fun. It's bloody good fun. And, um, I think we'll leave it there. So thank you very much for your time. And thank you at home for listening. Get in the comments with your questions about well, what you'd like to hear answered on the podcast and hopefully we can get into them in a future week. Thanks guys and we'll catch you later.